Erev Tov, everyone. Welcome to another edition of our Monday night class. We are in the middle of a relatively new series on the Amidah, the Shmona Esrei, based on the book uh, Shmona Esrei by the great Rabbi Zev Lef Shlita. Um, we are studying the first Beracha, the Bracha of Avot, of our forefathers. We are in the last part of that, um, but don't worry if you haven't uh, listen to the previous episodes. You will still have much to gain uh, listening to this one. And uh, but I do encourage you that if you haven't heard the previous parts, to go check it out on our podcast, Finding Holiness, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you hear your daily podcasts. We are, again, concluding the first bracha this evening. And I invite you to come along with me as we uh, learn some valuable insights and uh, hopefully inspire ourselves uh, to make this, at least this first bracha for now, much more meaningful. Last week, we discussed how we could recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu by the infinite, boundless kindness that He gives to us, and also from within the finite boundaries of creation. The third way that He can be recognized, we said, was through the synthesis, the combination of these two manifestations of Hashem's presence, and that is that Hashem zocher chaste avot. He remembers the kindnesses of our forefathers, that within the boundaries of the limited world that we live in, a person can perform actions and deeds that actually have eternal significance. Now, the act of remembering here, zocher chaste avot, Hashem remembers, when referring to Hashem, doesn't imply that He actually uh, has the power to recollect. Uh, Hashem doesn't need to remember anything. But rather, it means that Hashem considers this substantial. He considers it worthy of existing and enduring. Um, this is the angel's response to uh, Hashem's inquiry of whether or not man should be created in the first place. David Amech writes in Tehilim, quoting the angels, Ma enosh What is man that you should remember him? So again, obviously, remember here does not mean to recollect because man hasn't been created yet. But rather, but rather, what is man that you should consider him? What is man that you even that he's, is he meant to endure? Hashem did create man, nevertheless, and felt it was important enough to consider and bestow him with um, a lot of beracha and eternity. The Midrash tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Yisrael, In this world I commanded you to make me a sukkah, to repay me for the kindness that I gave you. And I consider it as if you are endowing me. But in the future world I will reveal my kingdom to you and protect you like a sukkah. What does this mean? During the journey in the desert, we, we Am Yisrael, were the recipients of Hashem's protection and beracha and bounty. But Hashem told us, I, I remember the kindness of your youth. God is remembering the kindness that we did for Him when, you, when we traveled uh, with Him in the desert. And therefore Hashem gave us the greatest blessing of, of, of all, the Torah. And yet He rewards us for responding as if we were doing Him a favor by accepting the Torah. Rav Zev Lef asks, how we explain this phenomenon? He explains that Hashem's unlimited eternal kindness to us, which is the bond that He creates with us so that we can bask in the splendor of His presence, that is achieved through the observance of Torah and mitzvot. 
In this way, the kindness, the chesed, is earned. This way, the kindness is appreciated. Our observance of Torah and mitzvot actually completes Hashem's act of kindness. It enables us it to take effect. So the mitzvot that we do in this world, yes, are acts of chesed. A person's mitzvot and ma'asim tovim transcend the, fi- the finite world. It transcends time and place. They're remembered for thousands of generations, not just now, but in years and years from now in this world for eternity and in Olam Abba. And that's why Zocher Chaste Avot. One is made aware of Hashem's presence by observing Hashem's reward in this world for the kindnesses of our forefathers. And this reward is manifested by the miraculous divine Shekhinah the providence of, of Hashem that has accompanied the Jewish people throughout history. So the ultimate manifestation, what we're saying now, of, of that reward for the kindnesses of our forefathers will be realized when, I'll tell you when, what does the, the Berachah continue? The next phrase in the Berachah is, umevi goel So zocher avot, umevi goel When Hashem will bring the Redeemer to their children's children. A vital lesson that we learn from this is that although the Avot, our forefathers, like all creation, were totally dependent on HaKadosh Baruch Hu's kindness for their existence and their sustenance and their blessing and their functioning, God still remembers and appreciates the kindnesses that they perform. And same with us. We must emulate Hashem and show appreciation and gratitude toward those people who do good for us, even if they are uh, in a greater measure um, beneficiaries of our good. Um, the remembrance of our forefathers' deeds, the Zocher Chasyavot, the merit that we enjoy until today is exactly that. Uh, the rabbis tell us if our forefathers had used up all the reward coming to them, what would have been left for us to sustain us? We would have nothing. Without Zechut Avot, we can't even survive, we can't even exist. The good that one does in his lifetime creates a spiritual essence. An, etent, uh, an entity that continues to exist, not just now, not just next year, not in 10 years from now, but 100, 200, 300 years down the road, way after someone's death. And that reality affects uh, uh, the person's descendants and leaves his mark in this uh, world. Um, <clears throat> we are now approaching, as we said, the conclusion of the first bracha of the Amidah, the bracha of Avot which we, uh, we express, like we said, the ultimate manifestation of Hashem's relationship with the forefathers, which is the final redemption, the Mevi Goel that Hashem will bring to His descendants. And this redemption represents the realization uh, of the full potential inherent in this relationship that the Avot established with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Ramban, Nachmanides, wrote in his introduction of the commentary to Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus, uh, concerning the culmination of the redemption of Mitzrayim. And he writes that the exile was not terminated until the day they actually returned to the original status of the forefathers. When every Jew's neshama returned to that purity of our forefathers, that's when the uh, Exodus um, actually officially took place. When they came to Har Sinai and they erected a Mishkan, and Hashem then residing His Shekhinah among them, that's when they regained the status of the Avot, who had Hashem's Shekhinah present in their house every single day. 
um, that's when they were considered redeemed. So this redemption is the ultimate realization of our potential of our avot, because the development and perfection of this world depends on the realization of each Jew's individual potential. The Midrash tells us that the Geula is alluded to in the names of all the Shevatim, of all the tribes, because they contain the potential to bring the world to its goal, which is the ultimate redemption. The Gemara Masechet Pesachim, Nun Vav Amur Aleph, says that Yaakov Avinu wished to reveal the Ketz, the end of days, the actual date when Mashiach would come, the time of the final redemption, to his sons on his last day of his life. But it was concealed from him. And instead, instead of giving him the actual date, he blessed him. And the Midrash says that the letters Chet and Tet do not appear in the names of the various tribes. No Chet. Chet means there was no sin. There was no deficiency. Nothing uh, nothing uh, negative was to be found in their names. And that's why Yaakov wanted to reveal the end of days to them. However, not only were the letters Chet and Tet not found in the names of the Shevatim, but also the letters Kuf and Sadi, which spell and form the word Ketz, the end of days, also do not appear in the names of the uh, Shevatim, and that's why he changed his mind. So what does this mean? Is this to imply, Chas Shalom that the Ketz, that the end of days is actually not inherited, uh, inherent in Klal Israel. So a beautiful mashal brought by the Midrash, a, a parable, an analogy of a confidant of the king was uh, dying. And he called his children to his bedside to reveal all the royal secrets that the king had confided uh, to him. But before he began to tell his children all the secrets, he saw that the king was standing at, the, at his bedside. So he immediately changed his intended message to his children and instead told his children to be careful to honor the king as best as they could throughout their lifetime. Same thing the Nimshal is. Yaakov wished to reveal the secrets of Mashiach, but he saw the Shekhinah of God at his bedside, God's divine providence right there. And out of embarrassment, he substituted blessings instead. Mashiach can come at two possible times. It can come at the preordained deadline, whatever that is, or prior to that, at any moment that we merit it. Yaakov Avinu observed perfection in the names of his children. There was no chet, like we said. There was no deficiency, nothing lacking in their potential abilities. So there was no need for Mashiach to wait until the final deadline, the preordained time. If they perfected their potential, Mashiach could come even before the ketz. In light of this, the Midrash about the king's confidant has new meaning. When the confidant saw that the king was at his bedside with his children, he reflected, if I tell my children these mysteries, they would hear it now secondhand. But if I inspire them to be careful to honor the king, if they befriend the king and connect to the king, then they're going to become confidants themselves. And they would hear his secrets firsthand, just like I did. Same thing with Yaakov Avinu. He wished to reveal the, the kets to his children, but after realizing the potential inherent in them, he chose to impart them berachot that, that would cause to preclude the kets, bring the redemption closer. Yaakov Avinu realized that the ultimate geulah dependent on the development of his 
shevatim, of his, of his son's potential, which was inherent in their names. So rather than reveal the date of the last deadline when Mashiach has to come, he opted to bless them with the self-knowledge that could help them bring the, uh, the Geulah, the Mashiach, at an earlier date. Now we understand the implication of the phrase in the Amidah, Mevi Goel, Livne Benehem. Livne Benehem means to their children's children. The word Ben means a son, also connotes the word Bone. Bone is a builder, a developer, because the child builds onto the base provided by the parent. So therefore, Livne Benehem connotes those who build the, onto the foundation built up by their children. Meaning all the generations of Klal Yisrael develop and express facets of potential that they possess from who? From the Avot, from Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It's that development that will bring Klal Yisrael to the point of perfection that will allow Hashem to bring us closer to the ultimate redemption. The Mabit asks a question. How is it possible to merit the Geulah or hope that our prayers of Mashiach will be answered? If all the prophets and the Tanaim of the Mishnah, the Amoraim of the Gemara, the Geonim, the Rishonim, Rashi and Rambam, they didn't merit it in their generations. Their prayers weren't effective in bringing the Geulah. You think the Rambam, you think Rashi didn't pray for Mashiach to come? You think the Ramban, you think uh, uh, all the greats, the, the Chafetz Chaim, you think they didn't pray for Mashiach? So if they didn't do it, if they couldn't get the Mashiach, how are we supposed to get the Mashiach? How are our tefillot supposed to be answers? So the Mabit writes that the Geulah is a cumulative process. The merit and the prayers of our ancestors, they've affected most of that process. We have to add the finishing touch. We have to take the small paintbrush and, and just dab at the corners to make sure it's perfect. It's likened to a midget standing on the shoulders of a giant. He can make contact with something that is out of reach of the giant's hands, but only because he stands on the giant's shoulders. The giant's shoulders were all the generations that, that, that preceded us. We are like the midget standing on the shoulders, but yes, we can reach just a little bit higher. In this context of realizing the ultimate potential of the avot, the term livne benehem also connotes the stage that the potential became established within Klal Yisrael. The culmination of the Avot was Yaakov and his children and his children's children, Menashe and Ephraim, Yaakov's grandchildren. They formed the Shevatim, the tribes, the foundation of Klal Yisrael, which embodied the totality of the potential of the Avot. And therefore, it's in whose names the Geulah was represented. Therefore, the Geulah is brought Livne Benehem, to their children's children, who were the representation of the Jewish nation and its inception. Uh, the Geulah is also the fulfillment of the Brit, the covenant that Hashem made with our forefathers, that covenant being fulfilled through their descendants. In this light, Livnem Benehem has other meaning. First, even if the even if the children, meaning us, even if the, the descendants of the Avot stray from the level of representing the Avot directly, they're still at least identified as grandchildren. A person may not be the most religious Jew, the most observant uh, Torah-abiding Jew, but nevertheless, he's still, he's still got the line. If he goes back all the way up, he'll reach Abraham Avinu. He's not totally removed from the ways of the Avot. And in this way, the, the Khatam Sofer says that the Geulah will come even to children who have no other merit other than the merit 
of their forefathers. One last explanation of Livne Benehem is based on the statement of our Chachamim that grandchildren are considered like children. The mercy of a father extends to his grandchildren in its full intensity, but not beyond. But our Avot, Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, and all the descendants for all generations are so in, uh, connected so strongly to the furthest generation, it's still considered like the grandchildren. My grandfather is Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov. I have three grandchildren, Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov. Ah, but you're talking about hundreds of generations. They're still considered my grandfather. When the final generation experienced the Geulah, the redemption, it will be as if it were brought to the Avot themselves, since their satisfaction will be as great as if it occurred to the immediate grandchildren. Leman Shemo Be'ahava for his name's sake, with love. The Redeemer, the Mashiach that Hashem will bring, will be brought for his name's sake, be'ahava, with love. The full recognition of Hashem cannot be achieved in this world as long as evil, personified by Amalek, exists. That's why Hashem's four-letter name, yud Ke vav Ke was diminished to just the first two letters, Yud and He. The last two letters, Vav and He, were deleted until Mashiach comes and makes that name full. Uh, one simple explanation of this idea is that the full name, Yud Ke Vav Ke, represents the fact that Hashem was, is, and always will be. Haya, Hove, and Yihye. The first two letters of the name, Yud and He, are the base letters of the words Haya and Yihye, was and will be. The last two letters, Vav and He, are the base of Hove, the present tense. So as long as evil exists now in the present, it is possible to see Hashem through the testimony of the Torah of the past miracles and the prophecies concerning the future. But in the present, in the Hove right now, it's very difficult to see Hashem clearly in this world. And therefore, when the Mashiach will come, Hashem's name will be complete once again. And in this context, the Geulah will be Leman Shemo. It will be for His namesake because that's when it will be um, complete. And that's what we say, by the way, the response of Kaddish. We say, Amen, Yehe Shemeh Rabbah can be explained to convey the idea that this name shall be made in its full form. The, the Shem Yud Shemeh is Shem Yud He Rabbah, full. Um, that be magnified and blessed for all eternity. Uh, the word be'ahava, leman shemo be'ahava, with love, implies Hashem's love for us. The fact that Hashem seeks to complete His name is not because He needs it. Hashem's name to Himself is already complete. From God's perspective, He's already perfect. He, he's always perfect. He never was deficient. It's only from our perspective that Hashem's name, meaning our perception of Him, is diminished. And therefore, that which appears to be for His name's sake is in reality out of love for us. We are the beneficiaries when Hashem's name is complete, and therefore our recognition of Hashem is intensified. Um, if you like uh, numbers in Gematria, a further explanation of the word Be'ahava can be based on an explanation of the word Be'ahava that concludes the bracha Birkat Kohanim. Birkat Kohanim, uh, when the bracha that they say, ends with the word Be'ahava. The word Be'ahava there hint also to the four letters of Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke, uh, which was uh, the Aleph is interchanged with the uh, Yud because there's another name of Hashem, Aleph He Yud He, Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh. So the Aleph in that name, Ehyeh, can be interchanged with the Yud. 
Um, also, the Aleph and Yud represent one unit. Aleph is one, and Yud is ten. So it's one single unit. The He is interchanged with the second letter of the He, Ehyeh. Uh, the Bet in Ahava is interchanged with the Vav, a very similar letter, Bet and Vav. And then the last He is also interchanged with the, with the, name, with the letter He. So Ahava is, in essence, can be, can be worked out to spell Yud, Ke, Vav, Ke. The Gemara explains in Masechet Pesachim, the Pazuk says, On that day, God will be one and His name one. Only after the Geula, more specifically, in the next world, will Hashem's name be one. But here, in this world, although Hashem's name is written Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey, it's not pronounced that way. As we know, we pronounce Hashem in the name Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. That's how we. That's how we pronounce Hashem's name. Not the way that it's. Not the way that it's spelled. In the next world, it will be read the way it's written. The name Yud K Vav K signifies Hashem transcending time, where everything is good, everything is merciful. So it's a name of mercy. The name Aleph Dalet Nun Yun, the one that we pronounce, signifies Hashem being master of a finite world, perceived within the boundaries of time, where misfortune, adversity are apparent. And that name signifies Deen, strict judgment, and harshness. In this world, we write Hashem's name as it really is, but we verbalize it the way we can relate to it, according to our limitations, because we are in the limit, limit, finite world. When Mashiach will come and the redemption will occur, everyone will be able to perceive all um, what was good um, in the end and the absolute truth, and therefore everything will make uh, sense. Uh, another explanation of Leman Shemo Be'ahava is based on the fact, like we said, that the redemption, Mashiach, can come either Be'ita in its proper time, in its final deadline, pre-designated time, or Be'achishena, um, hastened before that time if we merit and we do the proper Torah mitzvot like we talked about. So the redemption can be Lema'an Shemo, it can be for the, the sake of His name, whether we merit or not, it will come for the sake of God's name during that final deadline, or it can come Be'ahava, it can come with love, and will be brought sooner in response to our merit. Melech Ozer Umoshia Umagen. As again, as we approach the conclusion of the Bracha Vavot, here we mention that Hashem is king, something that was established and emphasized by the Avot. They brought that recognition of Hashem's kingship to the world, and they inspired thousands to become his faithful th- servants. Hashem's kingship is an expression of his divine kindness uh, utilized to help us merit Olam Haba, the eternal world. He is a king who is Ozer. Ozer is one who helps. Umoshia, he saves. Umagen, and protects. So, Melech Ozer, Umoshia, Umagen. He is a king who helps, saves, and protects. The Vilna Gaon explains these three functions. Ozer, helps, applies to those areas where man initiates an effort towards a goal and that serves as a prerequisite for Hashem's divine assistance and help. Um, Such as Hashem helping you uh, earn a living, finding a soulmate, um, conquering your evil inclination, everything begins with man's hishtadlut and uh, his own initiative and his own effort that opens a way for Hashem to, to help him. Um, and that is where Hashem is the Ozer. He's the person who helps. The second designation is the Moshiach. 
he saves. That refers to the situations where man is helpless to even initiate a little bit of effort he can't do. Circumstances prevent him from being able to act in any way to resolve the problem or achieve his goal. And here Hashem now acts as the Moshia. He takes an active part in saving and delivering um, uh, a, uh, a solution uh, and salvation to the person who needs it. And the third designation is that of Magen. Magen, the shield, the save, the protector, the protector. Hashem protects and shields one in a situation where he actively functions in a manner that is detrimental to his body and his soul. It is counterproductive to his well-being. Um, an example of this would be someone who is forced to permit uh, to, to himself to be killed, Al-Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify God's name. So Hashem will then act as a shield that protects him from his own physical harmful actions. And an, a, a, an idea, an illustration of this is seen in the story of Abraham Avinu. Hashem was the Magen Avraham, as the bracha concludes. He was the shield of Abraham because Abraham permitted himself to be thrown by Nimrod into the fiery furnace rather than renounce his belief in monotheism. So when Hash- we learned that when Hashem shielded Abraham from death, the angels ended on, said the Midrash, Baruch Hashem again Abraham. This is where it comes from. So that's how Hashem acts as the Magen. Rabbi Lev, uh, Rabbi Lev brings a different, uh, an alternative explanation, which I really, really liked. Um, an earthly king serves three basic functions. First, he's the provider of the people. He provides material necessities and advice to enable them to achieve their goals and their purposes. Secondly, He's the one who wages their wars and he delivers them from their enemies. And third, he's the heart of the people. He unites them. He gives them a common goal, a common purpose. So to Hashem. Hashem is the Ozer. The Ozer is like the king, like we said, who provides sustenance and guidance and enables us to realize our potential. He is also the Moshiach. He aids us in our physical battles. He delivers us from our enemies, assists us with our battles of the Yetzirah, which we know renews and strengthens daily. Without Hashem, we couldn't overpower the Yetzirah. And lastly, He is the Magen. He is the all-encompassing shield that surrounds us, unites us to a common purpose and goal, and directs our hearts towards uh, His service. Melech Ozer Umoshiach Umagen. This sets the stage for the completion of this first beracha of the Amidah, summing up the three functions of kingship, which our Avot um, recognized, utilized, in bringing the awareness of Hashem to this world. How? Well, let's start. Yitzchak was was related to uh, this aspect of Ozer, as a helper. He was the recipient of Hashem's aid when he provided, um, uh, when God provided Yitzchak with tremendous amount of bounty and wealth and resources and divine assistance to utilize those resources. Yitzchak was one of the wealthiest people to ever live. Yaakov was related to the aspect of Moshiach, of the Savior. He was the recipient of Hashem's aid when he fought battles with Lavan and Esav, and his spiritual battle with the angel of Esav. And Abraham related to the aspect of Magen, the one who came to the recognition of Hashem as the power of all power, and the one who Hashem whose chesed united the entire world 
in his service. It was Avraham whose heart found, um, uh, God found, sorry, to be totally faithful when he chose to sanctify Hashem's name by jumping in to that furnace. And that is why Hashem chose him to be the father of our nation and become connected, and we are all connected, to the heart of Abraham and the hearts of the descendants of all time. The Midrash tells us, Ani on the Pasuk and Shia Shirim, Ani Yeshena Velibi'ed. I may be asleep, but my heart is awake. The Chachamim say, What is Libi? What does my heart refer to? That refers to Hashem. Each of the Avot reflected a different aspect of Hashem's Malchut, with Abraham reflecting the foundation of all the aspects, and Hashem the King, the unifying heart, Libi'ed, unifying heart of all Kral Israel. The, the bracha concludes with the words, Baruch Ata Hashem Magen Abraham. Blessed are you, Hashem, the shield of Abraham. Um, the Sfat Emet explains the concept of Magen Abraham as being a spark of the divine that is the, in the foundation of every Jewish soul. And that spark can never be extinguished no matter how far off the path that Jew is. This is the Jew that was generated and developed by Abraham Avinu. This is the Jew that was passed on through spiritual heredity from generation to generation to all his descendants. The writes, Our will is to do your will. Every Jew deep down inside proclaims from the depths of his soul that his will is to do what Hashem wants. What is interfering with that? What is blocking? What is hindering that procession? The yeast in the dough. Of course, we know the yeast refers to the Yetzirah. Chametz is like all like the Yetzirah and our subjugation to the nations of the world. It is only these external uh, counter desires that prevent us from expressing our true inner will. The Yetzirah over which we have the power to exercise um, our free will and try to overcome it, but often is very, very difficult to. And these forces of the Yetzirah and the nations of the world um, cannot obliterate what we have inside, but sometimes it makes things a little bit uh, difficult. Actually, there's a halachic rule based on this idea, you should know, that deep down inside, every Jew wants to do Hashem's will. Um, there, uh, In the laws of Gitin, although a get, a divorce bill, which is given under coercion, is totally invalid. Uh, there are times when the Jewish court is able to force a man to give his wife a get. For example, in cases where the marriage is prohibited by Jewish law, like in the case of a Kohen who is married to a divorcee. A Kohen is not allowed to marry a divorced woman, uh, but he did, let's say. So the court can physically force the husband to give the divorce. And this is done even if we beat him until he says, yes, I agree to give the divorce to my wife. His compliance is not considered to be given under duress, but rather with his consent and of his volition. How is that possible? Seems ludicrous. When Mr. Cohen, we'll call him, entered the Beddin, he adamantly refused to give the divorce to his prohibited wife. And only after they beat him up and slapped him up, he changed his mind. You're telling me that, that's consent? This get is really given voluntarily? It's not given out of force? The Ramban articulates the reason found in the Gemara, that deep down, every Jew wants to fulfill 
God's word. Every Jew wants to do what's right, even in fulfilling the laws of the rabbis. It's only his yetzerah, it's his evil inclination, which superimposes other desires that hold back the inner will, that doesn't permit to express itself. So yes, when Mr. Cohen entered Bedin, he really wanted to comply. He wanted to do the right thing. But his desires, his yetzerah, the desires that were generated by the yetzerah, over which he has free will, that was suppressing that inner desire. In beating him, the court wasn't attempting to change his will. If that were the case, changing someone's will by force would remain a forced choice. So, and it wouldn't be free choice at all. The goal here was to remove those desires, those superimposed desires that interfered with the original will. And that allowed him to say what he really had deep down inside. And it's for that reason that our acceptance of the Torah at Har Sinai was considered valid and considered a willful acceptance despite the fact that Hashem lifted up a mountain over us and threatened, right, that either you accept the Torah or Sham Te'ekevuratchem, this is where you will be buried. The threat of extinction and destruction, which successfully negated all counter-desires that impeded our inner desire, that gave the Magen Avraham the, that shield of spark that's within us that bonds us to Hashem, the the ability to express itself truthfully. And so too, Le'atid Lavo in the future, if necessary, Hashem will force us into a situation generated by a king worse than Haman, our rabbis tell us, a king worse than Amalek, to repent and to return, so be able to bring Mashiach to the appointed deadline, or by the appointed deadline. Um, and now we can understand the assurance that Hashem made at Har Sinai, that after the revelation, Jews would believe in Moshe as Hashem's representative in transmitting the Torah forever. But there's a question. But there have been many Jews throughout history who denied the validity of Moshe's prophecy. And although the Ramban, the Rambam in the Igeret Teman, in his letters to the Temani Jews, although he relates that one can say that they do not descend from Jews who stood at Har Sinai, but rather they came from the Erev Rav, like Korach, as being an Apikorus who denied the validity of Moshe's prophecy, and he was at Sinai. So how is it possible? We see that there are Jews that denied. So says the stipler Gaon, he responds to his question and he says that the belief in the truth of the Torah transmitted by Moshe is engraved in the soul of every Jew for all generations. But we have free choice, and that can be used to develop bad character traits, and bad midot, and yetzerah, that can suppress that belief. I can superimpose other opinions that control your actions. But that innate belief that has not been altered, it's just been stifled a bit. It's still there. It's ready to surface at any moment once the other interferences are removed. The Brachav Avot concludes with Avraham alone. Magen Avraham. It does not say Baruch Hashem, Magen Avraham, Isaac, Yaakov. This is learned from the word Ve'yeberacha. In Parashat Lech Lecha, and you alone will be mentioned at the conclusion of this Beracha. What does it mean that Abraham alone will be mentioned? What is the significance? What is this alluding to? Here are a few answers, and we'll conclude with this. First, all of the Avot emanate from Abraham. Even Yitzchak and Yaakov came from Abraham. So, in reality, Abraham incorporates them all. It is his shield that is the foundation of all of Klal Israel, and therefore Abraham is the totality of everybody. 
Second answer is in the words of Rav Shimon Shkab Zecher Tzadik Livracha. He remarked once, in the course of Jewish history, there have been lots of various eras. There have been times where Kal Yisrael were stable, and the fathers and grandfathers passed on the Mesorah of the Torah to their descendants. This is likened to Yaakov, who received the tradition from his father and grandfather. At other times in history, it was only the fathers who had returned to the Torah, way after the previous generations had strayed, like Yitzchak. The children only had the fathers from whom to seek guidance and not the grandparents because Yitzchak grandparents were idol idol worshippers. And then there were eras where the children themselves and only themselves had to seek Hashem on their own. Like Avraham Avinu, who had no father, who had no grandfather to show them the way. For the children were the first generation to return from the generations of Jews who abandoned the Torah. So says, says Rav Lef, in the name of Rav Shimon Shkaf, or explaining Rav Shimon Shkaf, that in the, in the concluding era of the world, in the days before Mashiach, all of these various eventualities will exist. But the Gemara tells us, Becha Chotmin, we're going to end by you, Abraham. The conclusion will only be by you. Times before Mashiach will be so trying, they'll be so difficult, that if one does not strengthen oneself to adopt Torah on his own, the tradition that is received from the elders will not be enough to combat the negative influences of one's time. And lastly, the attributes of Yitzchak and Yaakov, Avodah, service to Hashem and Torah, of course Yitzchak is Avodah and Yaakov is Torah, will not exist in their intensity at the conclusion of history before Mashiach comes. In Galut, we don't have a Bet HaMikdash. Today we don't have a Bet HaMikdash. We cannot bring the korbanot, our, our tefillot pale in comparison to what the tefillot were in the yesteryear, in the previous generations. In Galut, nowadays, the Torah is diminished, both quantitatively and qualitatively, uh, with the, all the many mitzvot that can't be fulfilled. How can we compare the Torah that we learn to that of the Rambam and Rashi, Rav Saadia Gaon and Rav Yosef Karo? even with Eretz Yisrael, but we don't have a Bet HaMikdash, the quality of the Torah is just not the same. Everything we have left, the only thing we have left, in its full intensity, will be the attribute of Abraham Avinu, which is the attribute of Chesed, which is the attribute of kindness, and the merit of the Jews who perform acts of kindness from one another, that's how will we will be redeemed. Tzion b'mishpati padeh v'shavea b'tzdakah through acts of charity and kindness. And there's no question, there's no doubt that the, the uh, amount of chesed and organizations uh, performing acts of chesed today uh, shines, outshines all of that of the previous generation because this is how we're going to end by you, Avraham Avinu. In the days of Mashiach, this is what's going to bring us here. It's through love, it's through charity, it's through kindness, it's through embracing each other, loving each other. As we are in the midst of the three weeks, this is what we have to work on. It is the acts of chesed. This is what is going to bring us to final Thank you for joining us tonight as we conclude the first Beracha. Join us next time, Bezrat Hashem, as we begin the second Beracha, the Beracha of Gevurot. Catch the episodes live 
or on our podcast, findingholiness.buzzsprout.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, rate and review. Thank you for joining, everyone. Have a wonderful night ahead.